0: Cristiano Ronaldo scores, but United fall short and barren. The duality of Jesse Lingard and Ole's optimism. All this and more on the Fergie Files podcast. What is going on, everybody? Michael Folger here, and it's the Fergie Files podcast. Oh, man, we've got a lot to cover. All right, so let's talk real quickly. I mean, Ronaldo's debut against Newcastle. Obviously, uh, Manchester United won in a big uh, dominating fashion 4 one, so that was excellent to see. And Ronaldo getting two his first time back on the pitch in the red of United in about 12 years. So that was just a really fun one to watch for sure. And I mean, it just had to be him. Um, you know, I want to talk about his performance and the team's performance a little bit. Before we do that, I'll just run over a couple of things that I want to review this episode. Um, I'm going to try and keep this one a little bit short and sweet. So, of course, the first match, 4-1 against Newcastle. And then we'll talk about the embarrassing defeat in Bairn yesterday. Um, It was, yeah, I don't know. Embarrassing is probably the best word. Losing 2-1 away from home, being tied with 30 seconds to go and the bad giveaway there. Uh, So we'll break that down um Oli's reaction after the match um and the team's public reaction on social platforms after the match has got me feeling a little bit aggravated so we'll definitely dive into that and then of course best dressed um we're going to do a PL edition and uh, a European edition um and then finally at the end we'll definitely be checking in uh with Ben Foster's thoughts on Cristiano Ronaldo's season this year. Um, He thinks that uh, it's possible that he'll score 25 Premier League goals. So I definitely want to weigh in and see what you guys have to say about that one as well. All right, to the football, to the matches, and to what has happened. So uh, let's take it back to the Newcastle match. Obviously, all of the hype before the match was about Cristiano making his return, his second debut to Manchester United. And what a debut it was, right? I mean, it doesn't take him long at all to get off the ground running. Um, End of the first half, Mason Greenwood cuts inside onto his left foot, takes a shot. It's deflected. Goalkeeper for Newcastle. um, Not much he could have done, to be honest, except for to just try and get in front of it, which he did. But, of course, the ball spills um, right into the path of Ronaldo. And I touched on this in the first episode as well. It's not about Ronaldo being a world beater every single time out, but his movement and his anticipation and reading of the game is what puts him in the right position onside to tap that ball in. Yes, it's a simple finish, and yes, it's probably the easiest goal he'll score for us, but he's still got to be there and he's still got to be in the right position and the right frame of mind to make sure that he gets the finishing touch on that one, and he did that. So um, again, it's his anticipation of the game and his understanding of spacing and his movement um, that's what sets him apart for me. So it was not a surprise to see him get that sort of goal for his first goal back at United in 12 years. Uh, then moving forward into the second half, obviously Newcastle hit back with and They said while I was watching it was something like his... I don't even remember what number. Let's just pretend it was 100, but he's had a lot of um, appearances for the club, and it's his first-ever goal, so disappointing to see that one happen. Former MLS guy Miguel Almiron, very involved in the buildup, finds saint Maximan on the break, um, and he touches it wide with his right foot for Manquillo to smash past De Gea, and you, honestly, you felt it was coming. They looked pretty dangerous on the counter for much of the first half, and... Um, They definitely started brightly in the second half, so not not a huge shock to me that they got on the board. Um, Then Ronaldo's second goal, uh, you know, it was a nice through ball from Luke Shaw, a little bit behind him. And what I'm honestly surprised about in everyone's obvious discussions of this goal and, you know, he's back and two goals on his second debut and everything. No one seemed to talk about the skill that it took for him to bring that ball into his stride and set it up so that he could hit it with his left foot. I don't think people realize how difficult that is, that he's running basically at full speed. Luke Shaw plays the through ball into him, and he takes it in stride with the outside of his right foot and brings it from slightly behind him to slightly in front of him, all in the motion of his stride and sets it up away from the defender perfectly so that he can hit it first time as he gets his feet set on his left foot. Uh, Okay, so not maybe first time, right? It's technically a second touch, but that skill is so difficult at that speed to bring that ball under control, and he did it so casually. it It was like that was nothing to him, and you can tell he's done that thousands of times, if not more, in his career. So it was incredible to see the nuance of that move for him to be able to do that at that speed, bring it under control. And then of course, when you hit um, shots as hard as Ronaldo does, there's very few keepers that are really going to stand up to that and be able to keep that out from that range. So kudos to Ronaldo getting us back in the game. And certainly you saw a lot of that swagger that I talked about last episode too, where that's not something that United used to do. We definitely used to take the hits and crumble and last season. And now into this season, we've started to see a shift where, going down isn't necessarily always the end-all be-all or the hindrance that keeps us from doing anything the rest of the match. Ronaldo's swagger definitely ups that to another level. And I think the belief was there in the team for the rest of the second half. And that's evidenced by the goals. You see, um, you know, Pogba getting another assist and you see uh, God, Bruno Fernandez's goal was just, I mean, what we expected when we signed him for sure. You saw him score loads of goals like that for sporting in Lisbon. So, it's no surprise to see Bruno Fernandez hit goals in like that, um, you know, smashing it into the top corner. Keeper with no chance, defenders really with no chance there. You know, the keeper was a little bit um, blocked in his sight line of where Bruno Fernandez was, and you can see that on the replay that it's clear that for that second when he was about to unload that shot that the keeper couldn't really uh, pick up where he was or his body position from the way the defenders were standing. But even if he could have, when you hit him like that, it's it's very difficult to save. So it uh, was nice to see United go 3-1 up, and our Portuguese players really stepping up and doing the bits for the team. Um, and then Jesse Lingard. Man, I definitely want to talk about Jesse Lingard and um, his duality uh, in the context of both of these matches. But let's start with the Newcastle one. It was an excellent goal from him. Um, it's not a, one that you write home about, for sure. It's not like Bruno's or... Um, you know some of the other world-class goals we have seen um, but that's a solid finish you know okay a lot of work from Pogba um, getting in there and making that move happen and Martial with the uh, very intelligent layoff or step over or leave or whatever you want to call it where he just lets the ball roll knows that Jesse Lingard is behind him and leaves that one alone um, and then from there it's still it's a tight space to work in it's um quick feet and Jesse Lingard gets himself sorted, gets the ball out of his feet and smashes it past the keeper to make it 4-1 late on. I mean, the match was wrapped up at that point. I think that was clear, but it was really nice to see him get back in the team and get on the score sheet. Um, You know, I think that's one of those things where you don't always know if a player like that is going to come off of a really positive loan and turn it into the same performances at his parent club. And I'm super happy to see that Jesse Lingard did that. Now, on the flip side, and obviously this is a big um, talking point for a lot of people right now because of the result yesterday in Bairn in the Champions League, the duality of just this is exactly what I mean with Jesse Lingard. He he has the talent and the skill to do what he did against Newcastle on a regular basis and score goals for the team. He can score double-digit goals in the Premier League season. He can provide assists and be a key player for us. That I don't have doubt of. His talent is there for sure. However, it does seem that this guy just has the worst luck with going from a good performance, you know, atmospheres buzzing at Old Trafford and everything, and he's in the the goals again, and everything is going well, to, you know, fast forward a few days, and suddenly he's giving away the ball in the 94th minute, 95th minute, with 30 seconds left, basically, and on a back pass, he just misreads it and gives it away to the American, who puts it in the back of the net, past De Gea. Scuffed shot. I mean, it, it got past him anyway, um, but one-on-one with the keeper, you expect most strikers to finish in that situation, so you can't really fault De Gea too much. It was an error. It was just a really bad mistake from Lingard, and I really hope for his sake and for our sake that this doesn't define his season or define the next month or two months or short period of time for him because he was looking really strong, He clearly had a good time over the summer, and he had a good time with um, West Ham last season. I'm really hopeful that this isn't something that limits him from continuing that run of form, and hopefully he can just forget about this one, shrug it off, and move on. But that said, the performance overall in Baird was um, disappointing. I would say uh, overall it was a disappointing performance, and that's factoring in the red card, and that's factoring in everything that happened, but uh, let's start off with the fact that, okay, for those of you who didn't watch the match, it was, uh, BSC Young Boys of Bern in Switzerland, two and Manchester United, one, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored in the 13th minute. It was another goal that was maybe not the most difficult, but again, it was an illustration of his reading of the game. He starts his run at the top of the box and stays onside. Bruno Fernandes outside of the right boot curls one in. Beautiful cross, and Ronaldo, again, with the Portuguese connection, just knows, they just know where one another is going to be, and he could tell that Bruno can get him that ball. Uh, So Ronaldo's there to just try and guide it on target, and he did that. He didn't hit it with the most power in the world, but he didn't need to, and it was clear that the keeper, although it went through his legs and got over the line barely and didn't even touch the net, it's enough, right? Ronaldo knows that steering that ball on target is enough to get him the goal and to, to put United in front. After that point, though, and this was a problem I've, this is a problem I've had with Manchester United in the past. After we score, it's like we take our foot off the gas, and for some reason, players seem to think that's enough, um, and it's frustrating to watch that. We will go up against a team who is historically and presently weaker than us in almost every imaginable way, but we allow them on the day to be in the match and we don't kill these teams off and we don't kill these games off. And then exactly what could go wrong does go wrong. That's the usual rule, right? So Juan Bisaka gets himself I mean he had a I would don't know that I would call it a shocker, but he had a surprisingly poor performance up until that point anyway. I thought he looked a little bit all over the place. He was um, kind of slipping he wasn't his usual um, absolutely aware of everything could lock down Messi on any given day uh, Juan Bisaka, he was a little bit shaky I thought and so to see him then go into a reckless and probably ill-advised challenge when really he should be staying out of that one it's early it's not an immediate goal threat there you know we're up 1-0 there's really no need to dive in on that challenge right in that position in that moment so It was a another careless error and that cost us Um, and I think that probably cost us more than Jesse Lingard's error because the reality is a an own goal or a huge mistake that leads to a goal can be rectified when it's 11 on 11 and going down to 10 men with 60 minutes or so left in the match is what hurt us I would say more so Um, and what's worse it's a straight red card so unless it's overturned which I can't imagine it would be because he full-on stomped on the guy's ankle. I mean, intention or not, he that was a bad challenge. You can't go full studs on someone without expecting to get sent off. So he's most likely going to be missing three games as far as I remember the UEFA rules. That should be for a straight red card a three-match suspension, which puts Juan Bisaka, who's an absolutely critical part of our back line, out of contention for over 50% of our remaining group league games. I mean, he'll miss the next three And we have no idea where we're going to be at going into match day five, if we're going to be even in the running, if it's going to be way out of our hands at that point. Uh, Because it's also fair to say that young boys, despite their win, are the weaker side of the four, and they're also the weaker side of um, the remaining two that we have to play in Villarreal and in Atalanta. So it is not promising to see that we're going to be now without one of our most important uh, defenders. And, you know, we've got zero momentum. So, yeah, all in all, it's a, it's a disappointing performance. The the couple positives, I think, to take away from it are, A, that Ronaldo's on the score sheet again. I mean, fantastic, three goals, two matches, and this guy just, he just bags goals. This is just what he does. There's no doubt about it, and there's a reason people call him the greatest ever. It's um, also a positive that Donny van de Beek got to actually start, and I thought that he Would have been able to make more of an impression if he had been given uh, more time with 11 players on the pitch. It's like immediately anything positive goes out the window when you have to play um, down 10. And I don't fault Ollie for switching the tactics, but I do think that there's always, you always run the risk of exactly what happened yesterday when you start to say, okay, now that we have 10, we have to absolutely sink in and play defense for basically the remainder of the 90 and and hope that it works but that's just it it's hope and it's not really a a bona fide strategy and I think more often than not you don't see teams who are capable of locking down a team defensively for 60 odd minutes it's just not feasible at the professional level to do that when you have one less player most teams especially at the champions league level are good enough to figure out a way and yes, to be fair to United, we should have gotten away with a draw, and we would have had one point, and everyone would have sort of shrugged and said, okay, fair, we had a red card, we were up, It we changed the game, we set up for a draw, at least we got a point on the road. Unfortunately, it's not the way that it happened, but I personally take a lot of issue with the fact that the Manchester United of old used to go for the throat every time that we got into a winning position, and we had from 13 minutes until 30-some minutes, let's call it roughly 20 minutes, we had to try and really put them to the sword, as the commentator said, and we didn't do it. And that was with Sancho on the pitch, and that was with Juan Bisaka at full strength, um, 11 v. 11, and that was with Ronaldo having already scored, and there was an edge missing. And we can't expect that Ronaldo is just here to fix all of our problems, because he certainly won't. Um, And in that same way, we can't expect that Varan and Sancho are just absolutely immediately going to solve everything either this is going to take time but it's also going to take a much more lethal mindset um, from our boys in positions like that in my opinion there's never a circumstance unless you have to um, forfeit the match that you should be giving up a one nil lead like unless you're getting five red cards and the whole team is gone and you have to quit the game if you're up one nil you should be able to figure out a way at Manchester United's level against a weaker opponent to get that result and keep the three points. You just should. We have the quality. We have the depth. We have the um, the versatility of players across the front to not have to stick to having one striker and add more in our defense so that we can keep four at the back, and we have those pieces there. So to me, it's unacceptable to walk away from that match with nothing, um, and I think we saw this last year. Every match counts, and this is also part of my point about Always optimism. And I say that sort of in jest because the truth is he said that, you know, we basically have five matches left um, to figure this out is I'm, I'm certainly paraphrasing here, but he basically said, don't worry guys, it's fine. And I'm not personally a huge fan of that approach because his job, first of all, is on the line here every time that he steps out. And I think forgetting that is, Uh, crazy i'm sure that he thinks of it but he said quote a missed opportunity of course but we have five games to get the 10 or 12 points we need to go through end quote so his mentality already is ah one loss it's fine and i take exception to that because at manchester united it's never fine and last season's champions league uh exploits was certainly a good reminder that you know what we can go away and we can beat PSG and we can beat any of the big dogs and then lose twice at Bozhek Shahir in Turkey and lose at home or draw, I don't even remember, and absolutely botch it and then miss out. Like one match or two matches is absolutely enough to miss out on the next round here. And we have seen uh, very recently that Villarreal is a talented side. Those of you who don't follow this area, I can tell you that Atalanta, although they may not be as strong as they were two seasons ago, is a very strong side. We are going to have problems against these teams if we underestimate the difficulty of winning any of these matches. And let's not forget that two of those matches have to be played on the road. So, yeah, the atmosphere at Old Trafford buzzing and everything is fantastic, but it doesn't do us any good if we can't get into the group stages or get past the group stages, rather, when we have to play challenging teams. And it's also fair to say that we have arguably the weakest group overall in the Champions League out of any other team. So we should, in theory, on paper, have the best chance to make it out of our group. And yet here we are, we're one match day in, and we're somehow bottling it already. So it's very frustrating for me as a fan to watch that performance and think, here we go again, especially when you see the investments that we've made. It's it's a concern. It's not, the ship is going down yet, but it's definitely frustrating to see that happen again when I was very hopeful that these performances would be mostly in our rear view mirror. So I made a joke on Instagram that Ronaldo sitting on the ground begging for his penalty when he didn't get it uh, was basically the look I would have waking up in bed, remembering, hey, we've spent all of this money and brought in all of these players, but we're still united. So it's a frustrating result, and it's certainly a frustrating situation to be in. In case you couldn't tell, I'm typically a a pessimistic supporter of Manchester United. So let's talk about a little bit of uh, positivity as we look forward to Sunday, which is our next match in the Premier League against West Ham United. And actually, we have West Ham back-to-back. We have them in the Premier League on Sunday, and then I think it's Tuesday um, in the EFL Cup. So it's time for a quick Fergie Files fact check. I'm going to have to start doing these every episode for sure. I often just go off the cuff and get my dates and my details wrong about upcoming fixtures, so my apologies in advance. The EFL Cup third-round matchup between Manchester United and West Ham is taking place Wednesday, September 22nd. That's Wednesday, September 22nd at 145 Central Standard Time. All right, sorry about that. Back to the pod. We are... Yeah, we're looking at a couple of uh, matches against the London side who have had a strong start to this season as well. Um, Now, today is September 15th, and they play in the Europa League tomorrow against Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia. So they've got a little bit of travel on their hands, which should bode well for us. I mean, you know, okay, Croatia is not the farthest country away. You certainly could be having to go up to... Um, you know, play against Kiev or somewhere really far in Russia um, or in, uh, you know, against Shakhtar Donetsk in Ukraine. So there's definitely worse um, options as far as travel are concerned, but definitely those Europa League matches are a slog and will take a toll on teams when they have to do that, especially later in the week um, and then turn around, you know, a couple days later and play uh, against Manchester United, albeit at home at the London Stadium, but it's definitely not an easy task to play Um, a big match like that after a Europa League uh, performance uh, later in the week. So it's definitely something that we'll be thinking about. um, And hopefully we will see some rotation as a result, but you would expect that West Ham will want to play a strong squad in the Europa League too. So yeah, it's always a fine balance, a delicate balance. And we have the same challenges with our Champions League performances, um, but a little bit, hopefully better off with two extra days of rest compared to them. So We'll see. I still would have taken a win, though, but what can you do? Another interesting reason this uh, West Ham match is one to watch for sure for, former, um, uh, for United fans of former days. Uh, watching David Moyes um, manage against Manchester United and hopefully we will beat him is always a fun thing. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that have some distaste for him in his time at Manchester United. I don't actually fault him. I think that was a lose, uh, lose-lose situation for anyone who stepped into that position. Uh, but I do like David Moyes, and it's always fun to beat him anyway. So, um, And then, of course, you have to factor in that Jesse Lingard um, played really extremely well at West Ham last season and may feature uh, this, this coming weekend against them. Um, and honestly, based on rotation in the Champions League, you never know. He may even get the nod to start. Maybe that's exactly the sort of boost that he'll need to get this... Um, Champions League loss off of his mind and move forward. So we'll see. It could be a little bit of an interesting mind game tactic from Ollie to uh, try and put Jesse in there or bring him on as a substitute later on. So we'll see. It'll be a very interesting match for sure. Another interesting wrinkle in this tie is Mikhail Antonio, who received a red card in West Ham's 0-0 draw with Southampton at the weekend. Um, so West Ham without their I would say star striker. I think Mikel Antonio has been one of their better players so far this season um, alongside, you know, Declan Rice is always excellent. Um, Saeed Ben Rama has been been very good for them as well, and Jared Bowen. Uh, Bowen. So I think you can expect that probably Bowen will um, be involved heavily from the start um, in the absence of Mikel Antonio. Now, it was two yellow cards that saw him sent off, so it's a one-match ban for him in the league, which means he will just be missing for the Premier League uh, match on Sunday and likely will feature against Manchester United a few days later in the cup. So um, it'll definitely add another interesting element to this to this tie and the two matches coming up against West Ham. Um, very interesting match. I'm not really sure which way to go, to be honest. The pessimist in me would definitely like to say that we're either going to tie nil-nil or we're going to lose one nil. Um, we're away from home. We're bouncing off a bad loss and we've seen our team drop points when they really shouldn't and this is a moment for us to maybe make an impact and try and hit the reset button a little bit and get back to that good good vibrations from the beginning of the season we'll see if that's the case uh i hate to be so pessimistic i'm gonna go two one united i'm gonna say it's a two one united we're gonna go behind early and then we're gonna hit back two goals uh, one on either side of halftime. That's my prediction for Manchester United West Ham in the Premier League. As always, let me know. Get on Instagram, Fergie Files Podcast, or send me an email, um, fergiefilespodcast.gmail.com, and let me know your predictions and thoughts about the match coming up. I would love to hear them, truthfully. Um, I think it would be very interesting to uh, start getting some interaction from you all. So please do submit those inquiries, predictions, et cetera. Maybe I'll feature you on here if you're lucky. So we'll see. All right, moving forward, and then we will wrap this up. One thing I wanted to touch on, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Is Cristiano Ronaldo at this stage in this season a striker who can and will score 25 Premier League goals this season? Uh, the reason I pose this question Yes or no, will he score 25 Premier League goals this season? Is because I was watching a uh, fan favorite from uh, years past at United, Ben Foster, who has a very popular Instagram account called The Cycling Goalkeeper. Um, And he was talking uh, on his uh, channel about Cristiano Ronaldo and his movement and also his aerial ability and his ability to direct the ball in the air. And he thinks that that's going to be the key factor for Ronaldo getting 25 goals in the Premier League this season. I have to say my gut reaction is I agree with him. I think that like I illustrated um, in the first episode, it's his movement and not his uh, not his worldies or his incredible finishing from bicycle kick from 20 yards out. That's going to be the difference maker for him. It's his understanding of the game. So I think that my vote is yes. I think Ronaldo will score 25 this season, um, especially if he's able to keep himself injury free and keep himself in the side regularly This is a guy that's, he just scores. If he's going to go on a drought, it's usually not for 10 matches. It's usually for one or two. He just knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. And I fully back him to get 25 goals this season. I think it's going to happen. If you look at his track record, it speaks for itself. He rarely has a season where he doesn't score 20 goals, 25 goals. So um, I would be surprised if he didn't get up there towards the 2025 mark. But my vote is definitely yes, yes. Let me know your thoughts. I would love to hear them, and I'd love to start a debate here too. I think Ronaldo is absolutely capable, despite being 36, to do this in the Premier League. So get those uh, get those comments into me for sure. And if you have questions or want to discuss further, let me know. We'll get it on a podcast episode. All right, final segment for episode two of the Fergie Files podcast. It's best dressed, you guessed it. Um, I wanted to focus on this and doing something fun at the end of the episode since we don't have any comments yet. Um, so first of all, I did a European and also a Premier League edition this time around. I happened to watch a couple of matches from a couple of different uh leagues around Europe. Um, In particular, I watched obviously some Champions League, but then I also watched in Syria and I watched some La Liga. For me, the European best dress from this weekend is oh, it's a toss up, and I don't know, it's really hard to pick. I think Atletico Madrid their away strip with the blue and red fade i mean oof that's a really solid looking kit top to bottom um and i like when it's more than just the shirt i like when it's the full kit um from from shirt to socks that feels really really appealing aesthetically to see a really cohesive kit all the way top to bottom so i think it's between them and real betis who played um in the europa league yesterday as far as i recall it was hector Bellerin's debut Um, for for Betis in the uh, Europa League and that kit with the green and the gold and the white that's a really special one as well but I think I have to give it to Atleti when you score you know the latest goal I believe it was in La Liga history to win the match at 99 minutes or something like that from I think Thomas Lamar at that's you got to give it to that team right so this week it's Atletico Madrid with the best dressed in Europe And the best dressed in the Premier League, I hate to say this, um, and I know some of my football friends will be happy to hear it, but I have to really give it up to Chelsea's home kit. Um, I don't want to be biased and always give it to Uniteds, who always will be the number one in my opinion. But for this weekend, I'm going to give it to Chelsea. Um, You know, I think that blue with the electric yellow neon down the side is a really, really classy look. It's just interesting. It's representative of nike and their transition to a much more uh, flair focused company over the last decade or so and yeah i don't know it's just they keep getting better and better and chelsea for the last couple seasons has really done some spectacular ones so i got to give it up for this first season i tell you what though if liverpool wears that cream away one anytime soon that's going to get the nod for me and i hate to say that as well Uh, but that's a really just aesthetically beautiful kit too so i would love to see that one um, given the nod here shortly but for this weekend is chelsea Best dressed in the Premier League. All right, guys, that does it for me for this episode, episode two of the Fergie Files podcast. As always, give us a like, subscribe on any of the places you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, listen on SoundCloud, tune in, and, of course, as always, stay tuned to the Fergie Files podcast on Instagram uh, for all the latest updates and uh, goings-on about Manchester United throughout the week when I'm not recording episodes Otherwise, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, want to hear a topic discussed on the pod, send me an email, Fergie Files, podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear it and I will be happy to feature it at the end of the episodes. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it. And I am out of here. We'll see you next time on the Fergie Files podcast.